0: Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is Crime and Stuff.
1: The podcast. You would
0: do if you had nothing better to do. You
1: know, last time we talked about how we were delayed because of your daughter's accident. And today we almost had to delay because of another health reason. I had a tick on on my hip. But once I realized it was there... I had to remove it and my little tick removal thing and my tweezers were nowhere to be found. So I spent Um. an hour searching my house for them. And I know I had them because I had to remove a couple last year and I take them. So then I had to drive to Walgreens, the closest drugstore, which is 20 minutes in one direction, blah, blah, blah. So that was like two hours wasted that I couldn't do other work and it delayed you know, me finishing my script for this and stuff. That's but why I don't go outside. I, don't know. I, don't. I know you don't. And see, the thing with me is I like being outside, but it's, it's like the snow just melted. It's not warm out. I think it must've happened yesterday. I was out, I took my Christmas lights down, which people may, may be saying, what? She took her Christmas lights down in April? But you have to understand, I don't use my front door in the winter for weather reasons it's all taped up and plasticed up so I finally took that off and also my yard was full of snow (laughs) until recently so a lot of times in this part of the country the Christmas lights are up you know until you know you can get to them and take them down so I did that and then I was walking around it looks like there's some irises that might be coming up so I was looking at those but it was it's on my it was on my left hip you know, like under my underpants. Yeah. And, and noticed this morning, I'm like, Oh, why is that? Is it something like, is something like in the seam of my underpants that's bothering me or something? So I went in the bathroom <sighs> to see, and there it was, and I'm like, how did that even get there? I was wearing jeans and stuff. I figure it must've gotten on my shirt or pants or coat And then like when I got undressed or went to the bathroom or something, it must have like fallen and I I didn't notice, but they're awful little beasts and it actually hurts. I put some antiseptic on it and a bandaid. So once I pulled it out, but I, you're supposed to get the head, pull it straight out. So the head comes out. I didn't feel like I got it all because, you know, it kind of goes pop, it pops out. Mm. It hurts when you pull, it. but I threw it in the toilet and it was like clinging to the toilet. Ah! Bowl, and I had to flush twice before it went down and its little legs were like, Thank you. Shit. well, I, I'm passing it on to others so that it no longer has to bother me. Hopefully I won't get Lyme disease, but so yeah. that that was my excitement for today. Oh, and there was one other thing I wanted to bring up it may not surprise you but i thought once i discovered the wisdom of the bechdel test and for those of you who haven't listened it's a movie or tv show or whatever where it passes if it has two women who are having a conversation about something other than men but i thought once i started enlightening people they would all be enlightened and stuff and what i'm finding Ah. is i get people even people who are smart liberal and all sorts of other stuff arguing with me about it they want to
0: argue all they have to do is look at the empirical evidence
1: before they are they don't even want to like some friends who i like very much maybe they don't like me that much i don't know but but i was trying to talk about it and they were just giving me pushback and they brought up shetland and i said well as much as i like shetland it doesn't pass the test And they're like, well, yeah, but, you know, they're cops talking to criminals. And I'm like, what, you can't have two women talking about something other than a man in that scenario? But anyway, I don't want to go into big things. But that was just bothering me, too. I haven't
0: really had much of a chance to test it because all I've been watching... Lately, our Seinfeld reruns, which don't pass
1: at all. Well you, well, you can test it when you're watching stuff like that. I yeah, found but, yeah, when I, fun- fun- I binge watched all the episodes of Seinfeld a few months ago, right after I was enlightened about the Bechtel test, I think there were two or three episodes of the entire like eight or nine seasons that passed. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't. No, Um, because Elaine is, because there's one female friend. Yeah.
0: The other show that I'm not watching right now, but mom is just watching it now. And I watch with her usually, and I brought this up before is Call the Midwife.
1: That Mm. one. Does Chances. pass very well. We did have a conversation about women, right? That we, you've been <laughs> yes. wanting to discuss. So,
0: as now recently, there was a trial in Michigan of those idiots that wanted to kidnap the governor, Gretchen Whitmer, because they didn't like her restrictions of COVID. 2020, right? That they planned. Yes, to yes. Do it, so yeah, it was yeah. 2020 yeah, that right. they were going to do it. They didn't get convicted. And I think part of the problem was. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the way the investigation, (laughs) there were federal agents involved that were undercover, and that was what their evidence was. A lot of it was their conversations with these undercover agents. Uh. So... I think when the investigation is that way, the problem becomes, was it entrapment? And I'm right. not saying it was, but no. it's easy for their defense attorneys to argue that. They
1: wouldn't mm-hmm. have really gone through with it. Juries who are sympathetic to the defendants anyway and don't mm-hmm. fully understand what entrapment is. Or why it doesn't matter really in this case? It's not the FBI agents who were saying, "Hey, I have an idea. Let's go yeah. kidnap Gretchen Whitmer." But one of the things you've been you've been a little worked up about, I would say, the past couple of years is the uh, the volatility, and I me too. But, um, is the volatility toward female politicians? Female politicians, yes. And how- There's always an extra
0: layer of vitriol when it's a woman politician whether it's a republican or democrat yes and there was an article in the boston globe a Mm -hmm. few weeks ago it was when the trial was with this gretchen Whitmer trial was about to start about how there have been studies done that show that women politicians get a lot more for instance these men wouldn't have tried to kidnap these weren't men from michigan they were from all over the country right they wouldn't have planned this against uh, andrew cuomo they wouldn't have planned to tie him to a table. Yeah. And I said that to you. I said, I guarantee you, one of their plans, or if they had kidnapped her, they would have raped her. Of course. And and the people can say, oh, How do you know that? Because anytime a scumbag has an opportunity to do that, they
1: will. Well, some of their communications were about how they were gonna tie her to a table. Yeah. I, it's hard for me to envision that happening without involving a sexual assault. And also I see things like Michelle Wu, the new mayor of Boston, who's Asian mm-hmm. Ameri- American. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And her house in Roslindale, a suburb of Boston, has been picketed for since she became mayor by very loud and rude people who are unhappy with the COVID measures, vaccines and stuff. Nobody was picketing Marty Walsh's house. No.
0: This article in the Boston Globe did mention that when it's gender plus uh, ethnicity, Mm. it's even worse, like we see with AOC, Alexandria.
1: Also, there was a woman on the city council, I want to say of Chelsea, was one of those cities right outside Boston, a Black woman. Her name was Girlie. I can't remember her last name, but this was during the height of COVID. And she was constantly being abused by her white male counterparts because she wanted to wear a mask or have remote meetings, and the hostility towards her was over the top. And don't tell me it's not because
0: and, was a black And we woman. have had the same thing with our governor here in Maine, Janet mm-hmm. Mills. The hostility towards her since she's been elected before COVID even, it, there's always this misogynistic, st- the fuck Mills bumper stickers. To it it's, goes with Republican too. The studies that were cited in this Boston Globe article said that Susan Collins gets a lot more vitriol than Mitch McConnell. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Susan myself, no. but I don't and more other,
1: vitriol than Mitch McConnell. I mean, that's crazy. And then
0: and then the two that um people are constantly, if we want to talk about Republicans, is Lauren Robert from mm-hmm. Colorado and Marjorie Taylor Greene from uh, Georgia. Yeah. Both of them are odious people, and I don't agree with anything they say, but it really annoys me when anytime someone's talking about a, a woman politician, they have to talk about their looks. Mm-hmm. And, I also get tired of them comparing Lauren Brobert to Sarah Palin. And it's simply because they're two women who wear glasses yes. and are pretty. They aren't anything alike in a lot of ways. I mean, they're both stupid. It seems like women are just It's like it's simplified down to just, oh, this one looks like that this is a blonde
1: and this is a brunette, Mm -hmm. and this is what they're like. But just the nastiness on Twitter and everything, the really hostile, sexual, misogynistic There's a lot
0: of sexual stuff that pisses me off, like, oh, how many blowjobs did she have to give? It doesn't matter whether it's a, I do not condone any, that talk like that about anybody, whether I like them or agree with them or not, it really annoys me if they're not a good looking woman then you hear all this shit like about janet reno people i was just gonna say
1: janet reno i remember back when she was attorney general and for those of you who don't know or don't remember she was an extremely tall she wasn't fat but she was a big woman
0: yeah
1: with glasses and short hair and very plain looking i remember at work with all my male counterparts in the newsroom in new hampshire when i would get in arguments about them objectifying women I would, I would do the janet reno test where i would say well janet reno and immediately some guy would make a remark about her looks yep. she was an extremely intelligent capable woman probably mm-hmm. one of the more capable attorneys general the u.s has ever had but the conversation was constantly always, about how she looked how unattractive she was and if you're attractive they gave you, you shit win <laughs> you can't win either way because women are judged on their looks so you can't win whether you're attractive or you're not there's attractive. There's judgments made about a woman
0: in power. There's that extra, like, who does she think she is? Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna listen to what she says. You know, what is she talking about? <laughs> who does she think she is telling
1: me what to do? Why doesn't she shut her pie hole? Camel when they called her a hoe, you know, yeah. Joe in the hoe. Ha, yeah. Ha, ha. yeah. Do we have anything else we have to talk about? No. Okay. Well, my episode, I did the script because you've been running back busy. and forth to boston and yes. for hannah for my masonic stuff. meetings <laughs> too. No. But, oh and by the way i just want to add i'm still very angry that your baby daddy controlled your ability to let your daughter see the edgar allen poe statue in boston by claiming there were no benches <laughs> where the statue was now he was either lying or he didn't know and was he talking wanted out of to his eat hand. his sandwich that he just. Well, why bought? couldn't you bring Hannah with you? I don't know. She well, had a sandwich, too. Well, it was something you wanted to do. And he threw through misinformation, whether it was a delir- deliberate lie or whether he didn't care whether it was true or not. And I could have if you had texted me and said, are there benches at the Edgar Allen Post statue? I would have texted you back and said, yes, there are benches. So and what it wasn't. what can like, I say? Yeah, I'm just it just angers me.
0: I have enjoyed spending time in Boston. I love it's Boston. A beautiful, and the, of course, where the hospital is is Beacon Hill, and it's so pretty walking. Yeah, it around. used to and be it's the West End. So old, the buildings are so. I mean, I know to our European listeners. It's,
1: so they're not. I mean, I'm, you, I'm sick of that. Oh, we don't have history here, uh, bullshit. It's just so
0: picturesque. You're walking through these brick buildings and I except for like... the
1: ones that urban renewal bulldozed for Mass General and all those hospitals. There I know. The West End, one of the most notorious urban renewal. Project. Well, we can but talk. Maybe I'll I do don't it so.
0: mind uh, the juxtaposition of the old and the new. No, it builders. looks good. I like that.
1: Cool. I like that. It's
0: a very cool city if you've never been and you can walk and you can walk you can from walk one walk end, north end to the other. End, yeah. So go ahead with your. Okay. I don't even know what
1: you're doing. Well, you should. But you'll remember in a minute. I'm
0: trying to keep my job, too, so I can still have insurance. What, are they going
1: to fire you? I'm because trying
0: to work as much
1: as I can. Oh. So they well, don't... so am I, because I'm freelance. I'm not pay- I don't work, I'm... and I don't get paid. Okay, need... go ahead. So, last episode, I mentioned that there was an aspect to the Lauren Smithfields case, the whole internet, online dating thing, that hadn't really been talked about a lot in the wake of the race stuff and the police incompetence and all that and i was gonna do an update this week but because you have been you know haven't been able to do a script my update is now our episode so here we go last episode we talked about lauren smith fields who died after a date with a guy she met on bumble Or during a date, actually, I should say. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about dating apps and the role they play in crime, an angle of Lauren Smithfield's death that isn't being discussed as much as it should be. First, though, an update on what's going on with Lauren Smithfield's case which isn't a whole lot, but anyway, quick summary. On December 11th last year, Lauren Smithfields, 23, beautiful young woman who was kind of an influencer style and nutrition and stuff, influencer online, had a date at her Bridgeport, Connecticut apartment with Matthew LaFountain, who she'd met on Bumble. Lauren was 23. LaFountain was a 37-year-old white man, Police have implied through LaFountain's lead that Lauren, who was not a drug user at all and very health conscious, died from a massive dose of fentanyl, the powerful opioid that's killing people all over the place, combined with two antihistamine drugs that are frequently used as date rate drugs, mm-hmm. either of which she had a prescription for or used. The police not only failed to notify Lauren's family she was dead, her family found out a couple days later from her landlord, but also. Said to her family that LaFountain was a nice guy and they're not treating him as a suspect. Evidence her family found at the scene a used condom, even though LaFountain told police they didn't have sex, Uh. blood on a sheet, a pill, a sedative pill that she didn't use or have a prescription for, has largely been ignored by the police. The family had to like foist it on them. The family collected the evidence or had the police collect the evidence. The two initial investigators were put on administrative leave more than a month after Lauren's death and the death the same day Lauren died of another black woman in Bridgeport, Brenda Lee Rawls, whose family police also didn't notify, who had also been on a date with a neighbor and mysteriously died. She was 53. And they didn't know the cause of death and didn't care to find out. By the way, the Connecticut legislature, as I mentioned last time, is considering a bill that would require police to notify next of kin within 24 hours of an untimely death. Something, as we pointed out last time, that was in a national justice guideline proposal in 1995 that seems to have been widely ignored. It was Janet Reno, though. Speaking yeah, it was Janet, Janet Reno. Reno, yeah. Lauren's family and Brenda Lee Rawls' family testified in support of that bill in March before the Connecticut legislature. So after nothing has happened for a couple months, last week, Lauren's family and their attorney, Darnell Crossland, met with Bridgeport Mayor Joe Gannon in a meeting that lasted three hours. The family has not filed a lawsuit, by the way, but has filed an intent to sue the city for the amount of $30 million. Hmm. So naturally, the mayor would probably want to make nice and talk to them. I'm surprised, though, it took four months since her death for it to happen. I mean, that's kind of a WTF. Yeah. After the meeting, Ganem, the mayor issued a statement that said, I want to thank the family of Lauren Smith Fields and Attorney Crossland for the time we spent together. I appreciated the opportunity to express condolences in person and offer support to the family during this difficult time along with working together to gain answers and discuss ways to ensure nothing like this can happen again. Uh. Crossland, the lawyer, said the mayor also promised to set up another meeting between the family and the acting police chief, Rebecca Garcia, who has not met with them now, four months since Laura died. Yeah. She must be wicked busy, that's all I nah, can think. Probably. I don't know, if that happened on my watch, I'd hustle my ass to talk to those people, even if she doesn't feel bad about how it all played out. Which is kind of what the fuck? Thirty million dollars is a lot of money, and if acting like a decent human being and meeting with the dead woman's parents and answering some questions will make that go away, why not do it? No, I mean sure. that shouldn't be why you would do it, but if nothing else, oh my god! I anyway, Crossland, the lawyer, said the meeting was restorative. He told the Connecticut Post, though, that the family still wants answers on the status of the evidence from her apartment. Reports from paramedics called to the scene, body cam video from the first responding officers, and audio of the 911 call made by LaFountain, among other things. Crossan said the family is looking... For the city of Bridgeport to enact protocols to prevent something similar from happening again. And they also and by that, I think they mean the notification, not her mysteriously dying during a date with a guy. They also want a financial settlement for their pain and suffering, which I don't blame them. He said they didn't specifically discuss lawsuit, but, quote, we did discuss the city doing right by this family. If that happens before a lawsuit, great. If not, we have to file. If we're forced to file a lawsuit, we'll file a lawsuit. Crosslands of the family also, besides the fact the Federal Drug Enforcement Agency is now involved in investigating Warren's death, wants a federal investigation into the Bridgeport Police Department. The U.S. Department of Justice can do what's called a pattern or practice civil rights investigation that looks into whether a police department consistently violates people's civil rights. And if so, they can be put on a probation that's called a judicial oh, Something or other. So he wants them to do that. The Department of Justice would have to do it. Mm-hmm. So now let's get to the story that's not getting the attention dating app, sexual violence, and murder. And I want to start with this by saying I'm not blaming women for going on dating apps or saying there's anything wrong in general with finding dates that way. Rather, I'm blaming the companies that own the apps, which just like law enforcement, do not take male violence against women seriously enough. I also want to point out, just as a disclaimer, that Matthew LaFountain, Lauren's date is not charged with anything or apparently not even a suspect that we know of and there's no public evidence he's been any trouble to women in the past on dating apps mm-hmm. this is a general look though at the prevalence of trouble on dating apps and how little users particularly women and the lbgt community are protected i also want to say that I know, I've read some places that there are people in the black community who feel that by media and others pointing out that Lauren went on a date with an older white man, it implies that she's you know loose or an escort or something like that. My feeling, I'm pointing out, she went out with an older white man, and he is older. He was 37, she's 23. Some people are saying, "Oh, he's an older." He was only, but he's older than her, and there's a big gulf mm-hmm. between those two ages. My feeling is that. Many white men who are predators know how to pick their victims. A white guy that age, and I'm talking in general, of course, not saying that this is what Lafountain was thinking, but a white guy that age who wants to victimize a woman knows that he'll get away with a lot more if she's black and young. The very reason that the media and law enforcement and everybody will pay less attention. The very reason people mm-hmm. complain about missing white woman syndrome, and that when something happens to a black woman, nobody notices. Well, you think only people who care that want black women to get more attention notice that? I, think, I know. I think predators know how to pick their victims, too. And if LaFountain did do something, he probably, if her family hadn't made such a stink, would have gotten away with it. Maybe. Yeah. If he did something, he still will. I mean, you got to explain that fentanyl, baby. Anyway, information from this episode comes from a slate interview with author and Vanity Fair writer Nancy Joe Sales, as well as several articles related to a two year study by the Columbia Institute of Journalism or the Columbia Journalism Institute, I'm sorry, that were published in ProPublica. As Sales, who's written extensively, and even produced a documentary about dating apps and women, writes, quote, Dating apps did not invent misogyny, but they weaponized it, unquote. And, this is Maureen again, well, the apps may give lip service to caring about its users. They don't. Just listen to this. Mark Papa Machiel of Peabody, Massachusetts, was first convicted of rape in 1987. He was convicted of raping a neighbor and sentenced to eight years in prison and 10 years of probation that included sex offender treatment. He served one year and fairly quickly violated his probation. (sighs) Four years after his conviction, he was convicted of rape again for two more incidents. ProPublica reports in a 2019 story he spent four years in prison for those rapes in 1994 he spent yet another year in prison for indecent assault and battery which is a sexual offense mm. by now he was officially designated as a sex offender in Massachusetts it's not clear what he did in the 20 years between 1994 and 2014 but his ability to rape was certainly made a lot easier as time passed and internet dating started. Oh. Papa Michiel in 2014 was accused of rape by Janine Dumphy. The two had met on plenty of fish. Papa Michiel's status as a sex offender didn't keep him off the app, in case you're wondering. After she accused him of rape, he spent two years in jail awaiting trial. During the investigation, Dumphy, the victim, told police that Papa Michiel had told her he'd been kicked off Match.com, but didn't say why. Uh-huh. And that was in the police report. Police tried to subpoena Plenty of Fish for records of his correspondent with Dumpfee, but the company, based in Canada, refused, saying it didn't have to obey a U.S. subpoena. At the trial in 2016, Papa Michelle's lawyer said the sex was consensual, of course, and attacked Dumpfee's credibility, saying she kept changing her story. Papa Michelle was acquitted by a jury. A few months later, Dumphy, his victim, saw his profile back on Plenty of Fish. By then, according to ProPublica, even though he had been acquitted, Massachusetts had raised his sex offender status to the state's most dangerous category, Level 3, which uh-huh. means he's likely to offend again. Yeah, no shit. In October 2017, 10 months after Papa Michiel's acquittal, Susan DeVoe called the Peabody Mass Police. She was at his house and he had raped her. The two had met on plenty of fish shortly after he was acquitted. By now, he was a four-time convicted sex offender and a level three sex offender, with his photo and name listed on the Massachusetts registry there for anyone to see. He was indicted by a grand jury for Susan DeVoe's rape in January 2018 he told police he'd been in an on and off relationship with her and that he didn't try to have sex with her. She, quote, woke up abruptly and was screaming, calling him a sex offender and a rapist, unquote, Mm -hmm. according to the police report. And he was a sex offender. Yeah, she was right. (laughs) Yeah. After the indictment, he was ordered detained as a habitual offender until the trial because his, quote, Propensity for sexual violence against women is uncontrollable. Judge Timothy Feely found that even house arrests would not, in this court's view, protect future potential victims of Papa Michelle's sexual violence. And he pointed out that included um, Papa Michelle's online activities. Susan DeVoe had been on the wagon for a couple of years, a recovering alcoholic, when she met Papa Michelle. After the assault, she started drinking again. Yeah. She died at age 55 in April 2018. Before the case had gone to trial, so it was dropped because you can't convict somebody after the accuser dies. What makes Papa Michiel stand out, the article in ProPublica points out in its account of his online dating rape career, is that he was a convicted sex offender. Many repeat offenders on dating apps aren't on the registry and aren't pursued by law enforcement, so you can imagine what they get away with, considering what he got away with. No one keeps statistics, online dating companies certainly don't, but neither do law enforcement on predators who find their victims through dating apps. For instance, the FBI's Cybercrime Center, IC3, which tracks more than 30 kinds of crime that are initiated through technology, and they get all their inf- stats from people reporting it directly to them or law enforcement reporting it to them. They okay. do track romance scams initiated through apps and email, etc., but not sexual assault and violence. The website to date for love has cobbled together some stats from a variety of sources. Some of these are a little out of date, but I don't think any of this has improved if anything it's gotten worse. 48% of women report that people have continued to message them on a dating app even though they have told the people that they were not interested in to leave them uh-huh. alone. 46% of female users in 2019 reported receiving unwanted pictures or explicit messages. 33% of female online dating users were called offensive names yeah. by other users. Yeah. 56% of LGBTQ users have continued to receive offensive messages and unwanted photos after they asked the person to stop and have been called names and more. 11% of female users received threats of physical harm in 2019. And it's hard to tell how this next stat is compiled. It came from an internet predator site that this other site is repeating. And I'm not sure where they get the information. But anyway, it says there are about 100 murders a year related to online apps and more than sixteen thousand abductions and rates wow. initiated through online dating well the companies and i'll get to this later but the companies will tell you they have millions and millions of users so actually that's pretty good the columbia yeah, that's not bad. the columbia journalism institute for its lengthy investigation that took, I think, about a year and a half or two years before they wrote their stories. That's the ProPublica stories. They did a non-scientific survey of 1,200 women on dating apps. One-third of those women said they were assaulted, and half of those who said they were assaulted said they were raped. Another study found that people who use dating apps are twice as likely to experience sexual abuse as those who don't. In the UK, and I found this one myself, the National Crime Agency, which uses data reported to it from police forces in England and Wales, they had reported to them 671 cases of sexual assault between 2015 and 2018 as a result of a dating app meeting. 83% of the victims were female, 17% were male. A separate BBC study for a documentary called Dating's Dangerous Secrets found 37% of dating app users have reported someone for inappropriate behavior 63 percent have felt uncomfortable on a date initiated via a dating app and 33 percent have experienced either harassment or abuse on these dates when match.com first started out nearly 20 years ago it made a big deal about vetting its users but that fell by the wayside more or less just after after just a few years Match does some background checks on users who pay and I I don't know what it costs a month to join but they also you can also join for free and they don't check the people who join for free and that's probably why Papa Michelle was kicked off of Match.com I would think because somebody had reported him or they had done a background check on him and he must have been a paying subscriber. Match group which Started out with just match.com, now owns 45 online dating brands. Oh my gosh, is plenty that funny? of fish. Yep, plenty of fish. Tinder, OK, Cupid, Hinge, several others that are race specific for Black and um, Hispanic daters, and more. The companies that took over don't perform or require background checks. Match Group assures its users that it will check across Tinder, Hinge, and all its brands and block users. Who are complained about. So if you mm. complain about somebody on Hinge, Match Group claims they will make sure that person isn't on any of the other apps because these guys, these predators are on every app, every app they can I'm be on. Sure that- Match Group had revenues of $1.7 billion in 2020, but claims it would be too hard to do background checks on users. In the ProPublica story, the CGI reporters talked to some smaller app developers. One was true.com which no longer exists and i can't remember what the other one is but those smaller apps did manage to do background checks in fact, people so you think match.com with all its money match group could do them but my guess is match group likes the money and doesn't want the hassle instead most of its apps and apps owned by other companies rely on the honor system yeah that'll oh. work predators using the app to find victims admitting they have a record To sign up on a Match Group app, users have to agree through the terms of service that they've never been convicted or pleaded no contest to a felony or sex crime and confirm they're not registered sex offenders. (laughs) The ProPublica story points out that most people don't even read the terms of service, and I agree. But still, even if they did read them, they're not going to say oh yes i've been convicted of a sex <laughs> offense all the apps say they have customer service to take care of complaints about predators who use the app match eHarmony, and sparks network which owns zeusk christian mingle and jdate which is the one for jewish people who wanted to date other jewish people signed a best practices statement in 2012 agreeing to establish a rapid abuse reporting system that acknowledges receipt of the customer concerns bumble where lauren smithfield's Found Matthew LaFountain or Matthew LaFountain found her doesn't do any vetting or background checks, but says it has a strong stance against abusive behavior Uh and will block users who there are complaints about. But here's how that works, according to another Columbia Journalism Institute ProPublica story that was published in March 2020. In 2018, a woman named Emily was sexually assaulted by a man she met on Bumble. And she didn't want her last name used in this story. Emily reported the guy to Bumble, but two months later, he was still on the app. She also saw him on Tinder, which also claims to have customer service to take care of these complaints, and reported him there, but got no response. Then she was matched to him on Hinge, the same guy. She wrote to them, please, please, please remove him from the app. Hinge responded with an automatic reply. The other two hadn't responded, by the way, to her complaint. And the automatic reply, we take abuse reporting very seriously and we'll be taking immediate steps. Mm-hmm. Emily contacted Hinge two months later to find out what had come of her complaint and got the exact same automatic reply. Bumble finally did something after Columbia Journalism Institute asked them about it over a year later for their story. The company sent Emily an email thanking her for her bravery and recommending she Uh. contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Bumble said the guy is no longer on the app and, quote, he will never be able to match with anyone on Bumble again. Oh,
0: how nice.
1: But it just shows if you had a problem with somebody on Bumble, where Lawrence Smithfields met Matthew LaFountain, unless you have the Columbia Journalism Institute calling them up and asking about your complaint, your complaint isn't going to go anywhere. The December 2019 and March 2020 Columbia Journalism Institute ProPublica stories have account after account after account of women being assaulted by men they met on one of the apps reporting him and nothing happening, not hearing back, not getting any kind of response at all from the apps. Frequently, those who pursue such assaults through the criminal justice system are luckless. The case doesn't even make it to court, or if it does, the guy's acquitted or given a slap on the hand and free to offend again. Uh The December 2019 Columbia Journalism Institute story cites numerous cases of men who've assaulted women reappearing on the apps to assault again, with the apps not responding to multiple complaints about these men. And there were so many, if I had more time, I'd regale you with all the stories, but it makes your head spin, especially the December, 2019 story. Just so many, so many guys, so many women assaulted by the same guy. Oh God. I know. The story also says one thing dating app users don't realize is that the terms of service also include agreement that limits a user's ability to sue as an individual And the users also give up the right to participate in a class action lawsuit by agreeing to the terms. So far, the dating app companies have found they're protected in court by the 1996 Federal Communications Decency Act, which grants Internet companies immunity from liability as publishers of third-party content. That act came right as the Internet was getting big and was to protect You know, it's out of date now, obviously, but it was to protect from stuff that people were throwing online. Quote, it's largely been interpreted to tell Internet companies like Match Group that they don't have liabilities or obligations. Mary Ann Franks, a professor at the University of Miami School of Law who specializes in constitutional and cyber law, told the Columbia Journalism Institute, they've been able to avoid liability from harmful actions that result from facilitating users connections. In other words, if two people are connecting on an app, the company isn't at fault for what happens. It's up to the two people. That story also reports that Match Group is very active fighting state regulations. You know, when a state legislature decides that they're going to start regulating it, Match Group swoops right in. Fighting state regulations that hold them liable. Those are the one way dating apps can be held accountable is by changing the laws. But so far that hasn't been successful because Match Group is throwing so much money at it and other dating app companies. So these companies all promise they care about user safety, but instead of putting their money behind user safety, like vetting people and background checks, they're putting their money behind fighting it. Uh the spokespeople for the apps point out that the assaults are a tiny fraction Uh. of all the millions and millions of people who are having a good time finding love and all that good stuff on their apps. But one legal expert told the CGI team that it's like if a kid at a playground falls on a piece of rusty, broken jungle gym and gets tetanus and dies and the playground owner says, yeah, but look at all the other kids who use the equipment who didn't get it. More so The apps actually make the problem worse, according to author Nancy Jo Sales, who I quoted at the beginning of the story. Sales book, Nothing Personal, My Secret Life in the Dating App Inferno, which I have not read but intend to get, looks at her own experiences while delving into the dangers of online dating. And according to an interview she had with Slate, it was inspired by the feeling and the knowledge that the discussion still hasn't made it into the mainstream. And that's something we see with the Lawrence Smithfield's case. It's just a marginal item mm-hmm. thrown into the story. The police didn't pursue it. People are focused on on the racial thing that I discussed last episode. So I'm not getting into this episode. And nobody's talking about whether anybody's looking into whether this guy was a predator on Bumble. Yeah, and he's done, done complaints it about him. Sales told Slate, "Quote." The mainstream media tends to portray online dating as something really fun and cute. The overall sense of mainstream reporting does not take into account the harm that is coming to women, to people of color, and to LGBTQ people through harassing messages, unsolicited images, and even sexual assault and rape of women. And men, too, she adds. Sales has been ahead of the curve on this stuff, but has suffered a lot of backlash because of it. People don't want to hear it. A longtime reporter for Vanity Fair, her 2015 book, American Girls, Social Media and the Secret Lives of Teenagers, detailed the negative effects that the Internet has on teenage girls, including cyberbullying and sexism. Did
0: she write? I wonder if she wrote an article for Vanity Fair. Yes,
1: that year she also wrote an article, Tinder and the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse, which Slate, in its interview with her, said was about the chilling reality of online dating, quote, how it's sold as something that can help people find love, or at least a relationship, yet many women in particular have negative, even dangerous experiences instead, feeling objectified and powerless. What popular platforms like Tinder, Hinge, and Bumble were really doing, sales found, was commodifying hookup culture and blocking people from forming real connections, unquote. Slate said when the piece went viral, and this was in 2015, when the piece went viral, sales was criticized both by Tinder and other publications, accused of inciting a moral panic and called naive. Slate writes, quote, she also was the subject of ageist comments that she was too old to properly understand the internet, dismissing the credibility of her analysis, unquote. And I think that's the one that pisses me off the most because I don't know how old she is, but I'm going to be fucking 61 in a couple of weeks. And I fucking understand the internet. And it's not just understanding the internet. It's the deeper context of her understanding misogyny and how women are objectified, which frankly, I think maybe older women understand a little better than younger women. Yeah, we do. Sales also produced a 2018 documentary, Swiped, Hooking Up in the Digital Age, which I haven't looked for, but I might. Her latest book, the one that came out last year is an analysis of sexism technology and dating and slate says she also makes a much bigger argument that dating apps have exacerbated misogyny as i quoted at the beginning of this piece she writes dating apps did not invent misogyny but they weaponized it Mm -hmm. Sales is a big advocate of dating apps being held accountable for the ways they are endangering women, people of color, and trans people. She said that after her 2018 book, Swiped, came out, she got messages from women saying, Thank you for saying this. This is not being talked about enough. We're being told this lie. These companies are lying to us, exploiting us, getting us addicted, getting us hooked, but we're not able to actually share our true experience, Sales told Slate. And this is what Sales says when Slate asked about how dating apps promote misogyny. This is Sales, quote, Starting with the male gaze, women are objectified through the publishing and posting of pictures in this game of hot or not, whereby Uh. men get to decide, is she fuckable or is she not? Some people do say, well, the same thing happens to men. Women decide, too. But you don't have to be a feminist scholar to see why it's different if it's a man than if it's a woman because our whole culture is set up to objectify women. And then objectification is weaponized by the fact that now in dating, there's a split second by which a man gets to say, are you hot or are you not? Mm. In tech theory, they talk about how behaviors affect attitudes. Just by doing this one behavior of swiping on females' faces and bodies and deciding in that split second whether or not there's someone you want to have sex with or date, you're being conditioned to believe that it's okay to do that. That's acceptable behavior to treat women that way as objects. Unquote. She also says that dating apps are rape culture, meaning that they support a culture in which rape is excused, enabled, encouraged, or minimized. in her interview with Slate, cites the UK's NCA, which also I didn't mention earlier, but attributes the big rise in sexual assaults that's seen in the past decade to a new kind of sexual offender, quote, he's a guy who normally is less likely to actually have any history of sexual assault, but he starts online dating, The way that the apps are presented to him makes him think that they guarantee him sex. So when he goes on a date with someone or even talks to someone and she is not immediately willing to have sex with him, he feels that she is not living up to the bargain of the app, which is that he will get sex from her and he can become potentially violent in his insistence on sex happening. Unquote. That was sales. She also pointed to a 2018 Cornell study That dating app algorithms are racist and they encourage racism in the broader world. They're also transphobic, quote, trans people have just terrible, terrible experiences on these apps and they do talk about it, but they're not listened to enough, end quote. She points out that profiles frequently have things in them like no blacks, no fatties, no fats, no Asians, no Africans. Quote, this is not okay. This should not be allowed. And they get away with it because the apps say, well, it's a sexual preference. I'm sorry, it's not. I don't accept that. It's racism. It's not a sexual preference to have on your profile no blacks. You should be immediately kicked off that app, unquote. She said the Cornell study shows the algorithms support racism by sending people to people of their own race. But she says, chemistry is not something you can ever predict. The magic of love and dating and romance is the chemistry that you feel for someone you might have never expected. Now, some people say, well, you can do that on a dating app too. It's so random. It's not random. There's nothing about it that's random. It's all algorithms. The algorithms are not random, unquote. The bottom line is dating apps are complex the way they're run, and there's a lot of money that goes into them. They can complexly be racist and misogynistic, but yet they just don't want to make the effort to keep predators off. And every guy isn't a level three sexual offender and easy to find online is one, like the first guy I talked who raped two different women on plenty of fish and who knows who else. A lot of them are guys who don't have a record, who are below the radar, In the criminal justice system. Not that it matters, apparently, if you're in the criminal justice system. (laughs) And the apps can't even do the the easiest thing, listen to complaints, hire people to take complaints and listen to them. And there's another article, I didn't want to go into the whole weeds of it, but that. I think it's Tinder. They do have people, but they are on a clock and they have four minutes to resolve a complaint or something like that. And I don't want to go into it too much because I didn't fully read the article. In any case, they're not putting their attention to it. And so then you have instances, possibly Lauren Smithfields, but probably other, many, many other people, a lot of them women, where shit happens to them. And it's a direct result of a predator finding them through an app. If a guy was lurking in the bushes and grabbing women, the police would do something about it. If he was sitting on the same street corner every night, but when you're sitting on Tinder and assaulting woman after woman after woman, or just being offensive to people. Yeah. Can't stand there and shout obscenities at people and flash at people in public. Right. Well, you can... And so if you're a cop or whatever but <laughs> like we learned with the guy who killed sarah everard as far as flashing, oh that's true i don't know how much of that is responsible for lauren smithfield's not being alive today but it's certainly something that is worth looking into and i would love to find something that is more definitive i had to look at a lot of different stories and a lot of different statistics and it's very hard because the dating apps aren't going to tell you the police one of the issues is the police are dismissive in a lot of cases the police and the courts oh well you met him on an app what did you expect kind of the same as being drunk in a bar you exactly, were drunk in a bar what that did you would expect?
0: be what a lot of times what the juries would be like right too. right like, expect- well what did you think if you were on tinder right you were just asking for right, right. are
1: yeah. you gonna have sex with them i'll be interested to see if anything comes of lauren smithfield's case and there's another whole aspect to this of underage People being on these apps, particularly female people and being, and they're not supposed to be, but the apps also aren't good about making sure everybody's of age. And so you get teenage girls who are also being victimized. It just goes on and on. And the internet is great in Mm -hmm. so many ways,
0: but it just magnifies or makes worse any bad thing in
1: society. It does. Anything bad that you can think of has been made worse by the
0: internet.
1: Especially attitudes and cultures where people see their negative feelings or thoughts or beliefs validated. Validated, yeah. Pre-internet, you wouldn't get that kind of validation. And it's like what Nancy Jo Sales was saying about when men see, oh, I can judge women this way. Yeah. Their inclination already is to judge women that way, but now they're doing it. That's how they're finding a date rather than the way we found dates when we were in our 20s. And when people say, well, women do it too, it's a false equivalency because men are not objectified sexually the way women are. So anyway, so that's my, it wasn't really a story. It
0: was good though. You just wonder how many women don't do anything about it. Just like in real, what are you going to do if I met somebody on Tinder and and I got raped? I don't know if I would. I know. Would, what would be the, would it be worth it? I mean, right. I mean just like in general too, if you get raped. Is it worth, is it and even the, worth reporting it? Because you're going to be,
1: it's right. just going to make it worse
0: in right. a lot of ways. I
1: would report it to the app, but I wouldn't have any faith that anything would come of it. I know. The least the apps can do is take these guys off. You no know shit when people complain well, about. Well,
0: that's the least they can do, but they, they can also they could actually do what they say they do and vet people. I mean that guy that one guy was using his real name. I know he'd been convicted, I know for sex offenses it's not like he's convicted for robbing a bank I know I mean come on
1: and also apparently his family he's from Peabody Mass they own a big I think construction firm or something so it's the kind of thing too where you're like oh well he's a known person he's not somebody who's gonna so we have a joint NNW yes we both watched on netflix bad vegan i watched it first and it made you watch it that's true you did i was gonna watch it anyway but it's a four-part documentary about sarma who owned a raw food restaurant called pure and Um, met a guy on twitter who ended up being a scammer con man who destroyed her life Ugh. So why don't we just go into the...
0: Bad reenactments? I took a half a point off. As did
1: I. They don't have many, but I don't think they're necessary, so I'm taking half if They have so much other stuff, they don't need them. And then I thought it was really weird. Like, last episode, this always weirds me out, where they got arrested. Spoiler, if you haven't watched it. And they had the cops who arrested them yeah. reenacting it in the motel. And it always... I always feel squishy about like cops doing reenactments like come That's on guys weird. so 0. 0.5 off for that yes oh i wonder if we'll be on the same page for everything. maybe
0: narrative cliches i put no I don't, no not anything that
1: nothing you know. they did
0: have some of that b-roll stuff yeah they did but i guess everybody does know. yeah racial gender obtuseness I took one off. Me too. And now I'm trying to remember why. I'm take, well,
1: why don't I Detail say. Tell your reason. I'm taking a point off for gender obtuseness, and I'll have more of this later in storytelling. Oh, I know why too. But I feel like the male producer, director, and everything else of this documentary followed certain tropes about yes. women, and the story could have been told in a much better way. Which I'll talk about in storytelling. Yes. But the assumptions and tropes about the woman when the man who was really the criminal in this got a not a pass, but was treated in a completely different way. Yes.
0: That's what that now I remember why.
1: I I felt like yes, the way she was a victim, but she was villainized.
0: She was a victim. Yes, she was a victim. Just the title itself. Mm -hmm. bad vegan the way the story was told Mm -hmm. i had hopes for it early on yes
1: but i i soon felt she was being presented in a way that frustrated me. And we'll talk and kept...
0: about it more later. Yeah, but yes. yes,
1: I'm saying gender
0: obtuseness, definitely. So mm-hmm. that's why I took a point off. Lack of good visuals. I said no. I thought there were a lot. And there was footage of her from years before being interviewed too. And I felt like there was
1: No, yeah, there's a just lot, a there's shitload a, of yeah, there's vid- a
0: lot of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, guess, yeah.
1: definitely a good visuals missing pieces. I take took away one. A I feel like take away two.
0: Part of that is I didn't think the whole story was told. And this could be part in storytelling too, but whatever. There needed to be a lot more context. Mm. They're interviewing her and she's fairly forthcoming, but without knowing the whole story, you're like, how can she be so almost dismissive of shit? And then you realize, like, the more I watched it and the more I thought about it and I watched it, some of it twice, she's still traumatized by mm-hmm. what happened to her. Yes. And she's not living in, re- and, like, her brain, I don't think she has yeah, been text able to- me. Uh, Yeah, me.
1: He- yeah, I
0: don't think she's been able to-, to process um, Process everything. And it's almost like interviewing her, and I'm not saying it's irresponsible, but it's almost like- he- interviewing, I don't know. I just feel like they needed to have some people, some professionals on to explain what happened to her. I guess we're going to probably talk yeah, about it Yeah, and, and
1: I have some more missing pieces too. I'm also taking away a point. One thing is that I didn't know until I heard this discussed on Laura Richards' crime analyst, where she is doing a two-parter where she actually has a lot of the same concerns we did. Yeah, but she her first one she's interviewing that Joey guy, yes, who's fairly one of the few men who's fairly sympathetic to her on on the show. But it turns out right before she got into this relationship with Anthony slash Shane she had a big breakup, not with that other guy, Matthew, not with Matthew, but there was somebody in between them. Yes. And so she was at a very vulnerable point and had just broken up with someone and they didn't even mention that. And that would have put, I realized that today when I was
0: rewatching it, that she was not referring to that Matthew guy. When she said, I just gotten over this big breakup and I was like, oh, it wasn't that guy because she would, had been broken up with him. And yeah, right. they didn't talk about that at all.
1: Right. And another missing piece that kind of annoyed me was before she started getting ripped off by Anthony, it was like the restaurant was doing really well, but she was not debt, blah, blah, blah. And I don't think they explained well enough what the challenges were because the restaurant was doing really well and it was really crowded every night. But she was having trouble at times paying paying back that investor guy, but she wasn't doing anything wrong or criminal or anything. And I feel like it kind of of kept going back and forth about that. And I felt like there wasn't a timeline to it. I almost felt like it was deliberately confusing about her financial situation before she met Shane slash Anthony. So a point for that. Okay. Inaccuracy,
0: anachronisms. I'm taking off a point, not for anachronisms, but inaccuracies, kind of for that, for the missing pieces, and for that whole thing where they have. And this is a spoiler, to everybody. Well, we always do give spoilers. They have that guy reading the emails and stuff from Will or whatever his name was, the helper. The supposed guy that worked with shane or was his handler or whatever and that guy isn't a real person he which i the,
1: suspected but they presented I suspected him as though but they he presented was. him and they never really said i know they I, did I it for drama, for narrative yes but the way they presented it and also this could have gone to missing pieces but i'm but I forgot to mention uh, it. Yeah, that was part of my missing pieces but too. They never fully explained. Well, no, wait. I'll wait till storytelling. So never mind. Yeah, and so the missing pieces is, is kind of like yeah, it's
0: dramatic effect, but it's supposed to be a documentary. I don't know. It just right. it's annoyed because right. the whole time you're like, okay, who is this? Because I was is saying
1: to myself to the, the whole time, thinking,
0: okay, this is either a guy that he, this friend of his, had agreed to go along with this because obviously the way the emails are written, they're so fake that there's no way that people have real conversations like that, even if you're a spy or a black ops
1: person. And the way they presented it, because I'm saying to myself, she gave him all her passwords. So obviously he's using her email, blah, blah, blah. And it's a well-known tactic by guys who do shit like this to pretend there are other people on email. But I feel like the show didn't do a good enough job of presenting it and connecting the dots because they wanted us to think, will they acted like was a real person, this nerdy, dorky guy with a British accent. So I felt like they weren't playing fair with the viewer. No. And so, yes, that's why I took a yeah. piece
0: storytelling.
1: I would take away... Point. Yeah. First of all, I want to say... There's a context that they don't even mention, which is coercive control, yes. which is what Shane slash Anthony used on yes. her. And he used typical con men tactics, including the way she met him, and, and they don't point out any of this well enough, was through Twitter. One exactly. of the ways it's easy to get conned, and if people listen to the thing from three years ago or whatever, when I got scammed, is if it starts with a trusted, she thought he was a friend of alec baldwin because he and alec baldwin were always going back and forth on twitter he said and this is another missing piece he had fifty thousand followers maybe he did but it's easy to fake followers too yes so who knows if he really did but that's how he lured her in so they didn't point out that that that's how a lot of cons start you think it's the con man is from a trusted source. Yes. She was friends with Alec Baldwin, and she made this leap that he and Alec Baldwin were friends. But I felt like the storytelling, the biggest thing, and this is a spoiler, but it's the, the, the thing that's just emblematic of the biggest issue with how they treated her on the show is at the very, very end. They have, and I can tell it's out of context, which is also annoying, that Vanity Fair reporter guy says, you know, but maybe she was scanning him, too. She was scanning Anthony because he had money and blah, 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 and she needed money for the restaurant. And the thing is, first of all, you can tell, I can't remember what exactly he says when he starts saying it, but you can tell he's answering something yeah the director said but the dire- you don't hear what the director said exactly so they put that thought in viewers head when she wasn't doing that hmm. at all she's the one who lost six million dollars and that's another of the tropes where oh the woman is just after the guy for his money yeah actually, what was the upside for her actually she was in a vulnerable place and he told her things and played on her emotions but so the biggest issue that And then they make her look like a jerk and then they play her phone conversation where she's laughing with Shane slash Anthony, you know, so it makes people think, oh, she was in cahoots with him after all, because how can she be that friendly when it was a whole long conversation with him, I'm sure. And I can see being like that with somebody because you were with the person you knew them and God knows what else was said in that conversation. I know. So they leave it to make it look like she's suspicious after all, after, they, after they've after they already villainized her. And then they end with the so- Cat Stevens song, Wild World, <laughs> no, which is it. a hugely misogynistic song, even though people think it's some beautiful love song. I know, it's listen to the words
0: misogynistic.
1: And how you end the story is the impression you're leaving with you. Exactly. And they yep. end it making her look like she was guilty of something. Yeah. After they didn't have... You know, they could have had somebody talking about how she was conned instead of all these people. Well, I don't know. I mean, how would you believe all that? And then they have her employees that are, are, of course, pissed, felt
0: betrayed. Yes. And of course, didn't understand why the hell
1: did she do this? Well, what like that Joey she, guy, I was traipsing on, around Europe when, when right. we didn't weren't like getting paid. Like he sent her to Rome so he could rip off the fucking restaurant without her knowing. But like that no. Joey guy told laura richards and he was close to Sharma. yes he he told laura richards on crime analyst he didn't know most of that stuff till yes. he saw the documentary yes. yeah. but the thing is too all that mystical shit they have people yeah, talking I like like that's a real thing no anthony was using it in fact before they even talked about his video game stuff i said that reminds me of all those fucking books i had to edit by guys when i was not edit, but when i was with the literary doing the literary digest self-published contest judging all these guys who their entire a concept of storytelling is based on video games and action mm-hmm. movies and that's what it sounded like to me before they even brought up he was a con man and he was good at understanding how to manipulate this very vulnerable lonely woman yes. into a scenario that she kind of believed and kind of didn't but it, she, she
0: wanted was, to believe. She it.
1: wanted to believe, and he was good at doing that. The but they that, didn't point that out well enough. No, they made it sound like she was an idiot for believing this shit, and maybe he believed it too. But he he got off easier with them, you know. And the way
0: they framed it was, oh, he said that she, he told her she, he could make her dog immortal, and that's. I was like, that's such an oversimplification. Yes, it is so an oversimplification. Anyways, let's go through the thing, and then because there's a couple other things I want to discuss. Yes, but fresh i didn't take any points off because no, i didn't really i don't really remember this story at all i
1: remember tiny Maybe just tiny bits repetition no
0: i don't nope. think there was any nope. and beating the drum no um not really but i think they took the wrong tack
1: i so, I, I i'm taking a point off for beating the drum whoa. because i feel like they overplay that she's some kind of airhead who believes the stupid shit without, and I know part of this is some of the other categories, but I just can't get enough of, but without having anyone talk about how she was controlled and manipulated and how this can happen to someone. Yes.
0: Well, I was going to say about her. Well, so my score was
1: 5.5. and Mine was 4.5. And I'd say watch. It's interesting, <laughs> yes. But just keep in mind, watch it and then listen to Lauren Richards. Yes, podcast. listen to
0: Laura Richards. I can't wait for a second part. But we had these opinions before Laura. Yeah, we have was, a whole. I text mean, not before. Spread. You know what? I'll say what was good about it is they showed her as a teenager, and if they talked to her sister and father, and. I had a feeling when I was watching it both times that she, the explanation of it was, was oversimplified, but she's a a deeply introverted person. I think she was lonely, Mm -hmm. like a lot of introverted people are. And I think she had to force herself into that public persona because of the job of the restaurant and stuff and I don't think that was the kind of person it was hard for her she did reach out and make deep connections with some people first of all her dog she loved Leon. and, and I was so worried
1: I was so worried I know I had to google him, that
0: homeless guy there were a couple people like that in her sure. life that fiercely she fiercely loyal and she like with that homeless guy she just made this connection with him he was the one I really liked because he couldn't stand Anthony Anthony Same. from the
1: beginning and her family almost struck me as, this is going to sound like a weird generalization, but almost as like European or British or not. Even her sister, instead of saying, you know, you don't do this, blah, 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 she'd say one doesn't, blah, blah, yeah, blah, I know. which is, I wondered, you know, her family was so reserved. Like at one point the director somebody says to her, well, couldn't you tell somebody, couldn't you tell your family? And she goes tell them you know how do I tell them this like so obviously it wasn't like oh I can go tell my family this is going on and I'm not blaming her family or anything but I think she had a very reserve they weren't people who are all sitting around the kitchen table yelling at each other like we do like we do And, and I also not to keep going back his first marriage was very interesting oh yeah the fact that he was honing his ability to con and just as he threatened Leon's life he threatened his child's life as a mm-hmm. way to manipulate his first wife, and I think the documentarians do a very poor job they of making very that poor connection. Job. And also, I blame them for focusing on his first wife saying things. Oh, but you know, I still love him. Ha ha ha. I all know. That stuff, because they make women look stupid. I and, thought so, Tim. Yep. And easily, you know. And what? What do women want? You know, uh, this guy's instead of pointing out how women can be manipulated in these ways by the they have four fucking episodes and that one person says the words coercive control i know which is what's and also, going on
0: i that. wanted to know more about his father yeah he sounded
1: like a a crook and like crook just and like, like part him. of the reason when she was she having doubts, his father backed him up well yes. it's because his father was a lying fucking crook sack of shit and i almost wondered until the, the first wife talked about his father if he had gotten someone to pose as his father or something oh i didn't even think of that but i just I think assumed probably, his father was a piece right, of shit right, like But him. i think his father was a piece of shit and it but they leave questions like that hanging that's why i say he gets off easy yes. in he's the criminal he's yes. the one who manipulated her into destroying everything she had dreamed she of did her whole life but yet the focus is her as the ultimate villain
0: yeah this whole thing about maybe she wanted the money there's one point where she's talking about how she asked her financial advisor will there be tax repercussions if he gives me this two million dollars because she owed this guy jeffrey two million dollars right. And the guy said, well, if you were married to him, he could just give it to you. And then the next day they filed for a wedding. She must've mentioned it to Shane. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, but the way she said it, she's like, I was in such financial, I was in such debt with my restaurant that that would have made my dreams come true. Her dreams coming true. Weren't her getting the money. Right. It was that she had this plan right for her business she had a plan for her restaurant and her business going forward and that would have made her plan right. work that's what she wanted and, it wasn't and, money it wasn't frankly, like money to
1: go to fucking foxwood and another, gamble away a million dollars right, right and that's another um whole or storytelling issue i'm glad you brought that up is that they imply that it was her idea to get married
0: No, but yeah,
1: they don't. I would have loved to know more about how that happened because my guess is Shane manipulated her because he was moving the whole thing towards that, anyway. And that's how these guys work you marry them, then you have total control of their finances. They also didn't have enough about how he got into her accounts how he knew where she was like she's just like oh he's in my head because he knows where he was no he put some kind of tracking thing on your phone that's no how he knows shit. where you are you know but they don't explain any of that shit I all know. these just common tactics because they'd rather tell a story that makes the woman look a certain way i know and it does and they exploited her i feel yes. like it's going to be re-traumatizing for it's her it's like
0: kind of like station. what i was saying before she's still i don't even know if it's ethical to right to interview her right talk about exploited that fucking got why was he taking a video of her when she was yes. crying
1: yes which just at her and, lowest and, point and that's now that another should thing show you right and there's another thing that pisses me off the people who made the documentary used that to show what was going on But they could have had somebody comment on what kind of person. And obviously, he was doing it either to protect himself by showing that she's this hysterical woman, if he needed evidence. Or maybe to use it against her. Because what he was saying when he was recording her probably wasn't what he was saying when the camera was off. Because he's like, oh, come on, honey. And he's being so kind of kind. Yeah. We can just do blah, blah, blah. Because you've heard other recordings of him where he's swearing at her and calling her names. I, I can't such imagine she asshole. would be crying like that and he would be talking like that. And you know, he he's wasn't recording a, it. He's, he's such a, a fat He's fuck. such
0: a basic Massachusetts fat he fucking looks so ass. so
1: familiar to me. I feel like I've known that guy all my I I mean, no
0: offense to fat guys from Massachusetts, but I doubt any of them listen to our podcast. But that's I mean, he's just a basic and just big slobby slobby and his meat 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 how he has to have this meat suit for
1: protection or whatever and that's why he's getting so fat that's my that's That's and that that was the
0: one thing that i i've got my meat suit on i got my the other thing i wondered was that guy jeffrey i wonder if after he saw the documentary he felt bad about testifying against her or if it made him change, even though it wasn't that, just like her other friend, Joey, didn't know a lot of stuff. Right. That guy, Jeffrey, probably didn't know anything no. that was going on. No.
1: Because the people- seemed like it a looked... super nice guy right. if, as far right. as somebody who's lending $2 million, you know?
0: Because to
1: a lot of those people, it looked like she was just somehow- Flaking out. Entranced by this guy- And so she's jetting all around the world, just spending money like a drunken sailor or whatever, and forgetting about a restaurant. But anybody who had any insight and knew her well enough knew that the restaurant was her dream, and she wasn't. And it was her life. She was there all the time. It's interesting to me. Aside from Joey, you know, who Laura Richards interviewed, the women, even the ones who who felt betrayed by her, were much more sympathetic to her. Than yeah. the men were much yeah. less glib, and I thought at first that the Vanity Fair reporter, the guy, was good until closer to the end when the director was getting him to say that shit about her.
0: It's so sad. It like was sad. her whole
1: thing. It's not just that was her vision. Her life made it's me not feel just a money little, he took away. I know. Like when the Tinder swindler too. Like I texted you when I was watching this. I get so nervous in these things when people who are living straight hardworking lives Mm -hmm. just start giving money to these guys and destroying this life that they've built for themselves through all this hard work and overcoming misogyny and all sorts of odds i know and then some big fat fuck from massachusetts comes along with his no,
0: he's not even like i mean you could argue at least the tinder swindler guy was hot or whatever well, to them
1: i yeah i didn't think so but when i saw him especially <laughs> he the wasn't pictures, wearing a meat suit <laughs> especially the pictures with his first wife i'm like i know that guy i know you know but,
0: but it's like, they did drop the ball it's like it could have been a much
1: better Story. You need to contact that one cop. Though was very nice. He that, was much nicer. Well, first of all, when he said she hadn't eaten the pizza, but even those first two cops that went treated her like she was a victim. They yes. understood in a way. And it's funny because they were in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, yes. and it reminded We've me we went to
0: Forge. We went to Pigeon Forge. That was a long time ago. That God. was the beginning of the dot. That was Pigeon in the late eighties, Hollywood.
1: Yeah, it was yeah. the late '80s because it was the 10th anniversary of Elvis. It was '87. Yeah, yeah, Elvis's death. Wow, that was fun. Yeah, we had a fun trip. We drove all the way down to Vicksburg, Mississippi. Yeah. We're very afraid that we were going to end up getting by that. Remember that guy dressed as the Confederate soldier <laughs> that gave the tour. And then the, that kid, the soldiers from the North raped all our women. And I'm like, oh, shit, we're the only people on this tour. Yeah, but who then he Northern thought we accents. were with
0: those people who said they were from Iowa. So we didn't a say Missouri. We from. missouri Oh, Missouri. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we're in a slave quiet. state. But anyway, despite the low score, I recommend it because it's an interesting story. Yes. But I hope people will, like, listen to Laura Richards or something after to get the context. If they don't, I think a lot of our readers already understand coercive control. They're
0: listeners, not readers.
1: (laughs) That's right. I'm sorry.
0: I wondered if she had gotten together with Alec Baldwin, if she would have been better off. No, he's kind of a dick, too. I know he is. He's a dick. I anyway, just had a seventh kid with that oh my God, fake how, accent hilarious, lady.
1: Yeah, But anyway, I guess we should go and you will do that. I next should episode. be doing, able to
0: do a script next time. I had something in mind, but it might not be enough. I always and, say and, that. And
1: remember, I'm going to Lubeck my birthday weekend. Okay. So we have to, maybe we can record when I get back or we'll figure it out. We don't need okay. our. The listeners don't want to know how the sausages get made. Which makes Mm. me hungry. Yum, (laughs) sausage. Okay. Okay. Well, thank
0: you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for
1: listening. Bye. Okay. Okay. Yeah, what's that supposed to mean? I don't know. Which means he's likely to offend (laughs) me. Oh, kitty cat. Well, let me say that over since you're laughing over me saying something serious. wanted
0: to be on the show.
1: Aw. Sorry,
0: Kabibi
1: was bad. Oh, yeah, blame the cat. Sorry.
0: I'm telling you. I threw her.